Same here, music with no announcement. There he is. <laughs> Wait. Oh, oh dear. It's a nice There we go. Sorry about that. All right. Welcome once again to the Lucky Mushroom Hoodoo Reward Tower, brought to you by the Lucky Mushroom Curious Company in Portland, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Pop News, so Pop News.com in Omaha, Nebraska. And in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co host. Captain Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjurman Ali of TheConjurman.com in Mission Viejo, California. So this week, we'll be joined by a very special guest joining us today, and that will be Papa G of SouthernFolkMagic.com. Uh, and, uh, uh, oh, goodness, I don't have my notes in front of me. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay, you got time. <laughs> talking about Appalachian Folk Magic. Oh, and after we have our discussion, we'll go and take our call from our listeners, answer their questions through spiritual divination, prescribing down-home conjure remedies and remediation. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I am so last-minute stuff. I have no notes in front of me. But you know what? Let's get to our show. Let's get started. Let's have fun. And let's turn it over to this cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Papa Newt, you're wound up in a ball of string. Um, oh, my. It just... Everything just dropped, and like, I I can't move everything, all my notes, to another room at the moment. I'm just going to do it and call in and make it happen. <laughs> well, oh, sorry for the train. Thanks, thanks for thanks for being here. Um, uh, wow. <laughs> all righty. Well, here we are. Um, we'll give him a moment to catch his breath, and I'm just as calm as a cucumber, so I think I'll take over from here. Hi, welcome to the. Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour. This is Miss Cat, your announcer and co-host for the moment. And with me tonight, we're going to be having my co-host, Conjurman Ali of theconjurman.com. And we're going to have our special guest, Papa G. And um, Papa G is a, a wonderful person who has been a guest on this show many times. And um, I am sad to announce that he... Uh, took leave of the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers this year, did not renew his membership, but I am happy and very pleased to announce that the reason he did so is that his store, um, which is a, a wonderful store where he sells hoodoo supplies, other folk magic supplies, plus aromatherapy supplies, soaps, and teaches classes in do-it-yourself crafting and all. I mean, this is a man who's busy. His store has taken off to the extent that he can no longer serve individual reading and root work clients. He now has nine employees, and so there's a reason. Um, What was that old movie? Will success spoil Rock Hudson? Will success spoil Papa G? I don't think so. I don't think he's spoilable. But I am so glad to have him still be a guest on the show. And I also want to just tell the world what a nice man Papa G is. He renewed his uh, directory listing at AIR, which for all of those of you who don't read all the fine print, the directory listing at AIR costs $100 a year pretty much a bargain considering how many pages you get listed on. He renewed his listing just like always and then he realized he just was overworked and so he said he wasn't going to be in air. So 
when Nagashiva, my husband, suggested to him, would you like a refund of your $100? This wonderful man said, no, just give my my directory fee to the pro bono fund and use it to purchase and, and send spiritual supplies and root work packages to somebody who can't afford it. So that's what I call a good friend, and I'm glad to have him with us. Now, before we get to uh, Papa G and that part of our show, I do want to let you all know what's happening here at Lucky Mojo, because I always do that. Ah, what's happening here at Lucky Mojo is we are also way, way, way overworked. We have so many orders, and we have so many workers, and we're so far behind. And I wish Papa G would send us some of his nine workers over here to California, because we could use, we could use another nine, nine workers or 99 workers. Um, so, once again, the call goes out. If you are hearing my voice and live in Sonoma County and you know the Lucky Mojo shop and you know what we do and if perchance you may have taken my course or would like to take my course for free because taking the course is part of being a a worker at the shop and you want part-time work come on by the shop and fill out an application because as the old sign at the old classic duck shop used to say, right there under the glass, our customers sometimes make our best employees. Apply now. <laughs> so we need we need another helper. But we're working hard. I've been working on a project of my own, which is um, I'm working on a, a book that has been... Um, let to go out of print, one of many beautiful old hoodoo books that has been let to go out of print. Now this one, as with the last one I did, which was um, Legends of Incense, Urban Oil Magic, when that book went out of print, I'm a polite person, I don't step on anybody else's toes, but when that book went out of print, it had already been degraded so far that it was almost not recognizable as the original book that had been so popular starting in 1936. It had become a a kind of a ghost of itself. And the same thing has happened to this other book. Over the years, more chopped up versions have been made and more substitutions of ingredients and more softening of the spells and more additions of kind of standard, like this candle and you'll be fine type advice, has been used to substitute for the real work that was given in the original version. There also have been some very good additions, additions that um, were not in the original that are the work of competent and decent people over the years. So this book, which has been around, has finally been allowed to go out of print. I've just been waiting. Cross me. Please go out of print. Please go out of print so that I won't step on the toes of a colleague by reprinting it. Well, the time has come, and I'm working on it. It'll be out probably by October which brings me to another topic, and I'm going to really quickly touch on that. Um, in October, I'm holding another one of my apprenticeship weeks for course graduates, and that will be held um, from October 8th through October 12th, 2018. And the lessons that will be given are what are called the week three lessons, but it doesn't matter. You can take the weeks in any order. And... Um, that will segue into the fall Santa Rosa Mystic Fair, which is going to be held the 13th and 14th of October 
2018. So I'm going to be introducing this book, not at the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. I don't think we're going to do a full Hoodoo Heritage Festival for October, but we will be making an appearance at the Mystic Fair, and I'll probably teach a workshop or two. And this book will be given away, of course, as your free prize if you take the workshop. So just to let you all know, that's what I have planned, and I may have another book out by then too, but I'll announce that. not going to tell you the name of this one yet. It'll be a surprise. You know me. I... I, I want to have everything just right before I announce it. So that's what's happening at Lucky Mojo. Now, let me just give a toss the ball and hope he catches it to Contraman Ali. What's happening in your world? <laughs> Catching the ball. Um, <laughs> things are going uh, quite well. Thanks for asking. Been busy um, as usual. I actually want to um, highlight something rather than talk about what's going on. Uh, I'd rather, I'm going to kind of pull back and look kind of nationally, I always like talking about what's going on in the world because I'm very interested in politics, and I know you are as well, uh, Ms. Oh, Kat. Jesus, um, don't get me started. I, I, um, I was so good. I didn't mention that motherfucker at all, nor his brain-dead, medicated, hypocritical victim of of domestic abuse and violence, you name it, wife. Okay, I just didn't mention it. Oh, God. No, you were All very right, good, but I can't, I can't... No, no, you were good, but I, I, I can't hold my tongue on this one. Um, you know, there's, uh, regardless of kind of where you fall on the political spectrum, regardless of where you fall on your political ideology, we are living probably in one of the coolest, darkest periods in, in American history. I mean, a really resurgence of stuff that we thought we dealt with decades ago, uh, from the rise of neo-Nazism. But the latest is the separating of of children from their parents, uh, particularly couched as a sort of uh, immigration deterrent that ignores the fact that these are asylum seekers, which is a legal process that is internationally recognized, that separating children from their parents violates international human rights, Regardless of all of that, I mean, this is just fucking cool. It's unthinkably cool to put children in detention, basically miniature internment camps, um, like we did with the Japanese, like we did when we turned away uh, Jewish refugees like from fucking Nazi Hitler, Germany. Okay? Like, like fucking Hitler, okay? Like Hitler. That man is a vampire. He's a fucking psychic vampire, and he's feeding oh, off yeah. the screams of babies. Yeah. You know, the, it's interesting you say psychic vampire because if you see him as, at any of his rallies, he has all the, all the signs of a psychic vampire. The way he riles up crowds and feeds off of them is just very classic uh, a psychic vampire. It's, it's very magical. It's very parasitic. And he doesn't, you know, people like that exist in the world that have that ability to manipulate and create frenzy and cruelty. So this is a time for, for spiritual workers to really start sending out those prayers. I mean, families are being torn apart. The psychic trauma of this is going to last for generations. The stain of this is going to last for generations. I mean, it's utterly horrific. I just have a psalm that I think uh, is really important. Uh, if you can, say a little prayer. Psalm 125, uh, 3, the scepter of the wicked shall not remain over the land of the righteous. Is a great psalm to be praying right now. Um, Tom to be Tom to do some work for the righteous. Yeah. Thank you. I I I was going to be so good. I was going to be such a nice <laughs> little girl and not say anything. Thank you, Ollie. But 
the thing is, I have so much penned up in me at this point. Yeah, about this same. Horrific, horrific situation. The not only the screams of the babies, the weeping of the mothers. What is Ooh, wrong with yeah. this man? What is wrong with him? And then every fucking time he lies and says it's the Democrats' law, but there is no such law. It's his policy. Mm-hmm. He's a lying, lying, lying sack of shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the using of the Bible by Jeff Sessions to justify this. Oh, oof. yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I just, I really, I cannot, I cannot take it anymore. And um, mm. I've been trying to be really, really good, but I'm not doing too great <laughs> here. I just, you know, that picture of that little that little baby in the little red um, top screen. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah. Yo, it's right. Right. Yeah. I heard the man who took that picture, who took that photo, being interviewed on National Public Radio, and he was in tears describing the t- moment of taking the photo. Oh, it's it was, just, it's unthinkably it was cool. Horrific, horrific. Evil. Evil. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay. Oof. Um, uh, Nagashiva, we've been talking, and Nagashiva says, should we just bypass the first client and displace discussion panel topic? And Papaji said, sure. And he said, I'm asking Kat. <laughs> <laughs> He's so nice. Um, yes. Yes, let's. Because this, I just have one more thing to say, and, and then we'll, we'll get to the topic. Honestly, we will. But sometimes, like, you know, the the, the nightmare of the news headlines intrudes. Yeah. People, people, if you possibly can if you possibly can if you're not registered to vote yeah those babies are on your head and if you're going to vote for a motherfucker and his minions who do this mm-hmm. as ali said this is going to last for generations trauma oh, yeah. is real toxic stress is real those children will not grow up normal that mm-hmm. this is no good this is absolutely a horror and um this has to be stopped it must be stopped it must be and the motherfucker is using one of the e- oldest tactics of violent family domestic abuse perpetrators yeah. which is look what you made me do Look what yes. you made me do. You that is a that is an abuser's so cop out. Yeah, yeah, it's psychotic. He's psychotic. Jesus Christ! All right, this will go down as um, it's you know it's more than just being a corrupt money grubbing narcissist. Yes. It's just beyond. It's beyond. Okay, I like what uh, in the in the chat room uh, Nagashiva wrote intervention newsflash. Yes, but it is important, as Contraman Ali says, it is important for workers to speak up. And Alchemicals Artisans Hour says the damage he does now will echo for a long time. That is true. That is true. This is, we are living um, with our, I mean, he's gone beyond Nixon, way beyond Nixon now. We are are seriously into Mao, Stalin, Hitler land, okay? Well, this is also, this is also where, conjure workers, root workers. This is their bread and butter in many ways. People often think of the root doctor and conjure doctor as the person that's, that's selling you mojo bags to get lucky. Yes, that's what they did. They absolutely did that. But they were also the force that intervened 
when society was unjust. Remember, this is a, this is a force... This is a spiritual practice that comes out of the people that were oppressed, that comes out of the people that faced a reality where the laws didn't work in their favor, right? The laws always worked against them. And so you have to turn to outside means, and that is magic to correct what is wrong in society. So there's a reason why there's so many workings about working a judge, about changing a juror's mind, about keeping the law away, about working outside the law. I mean, there's a whole way of working in conjurance because of this reality. So that's not just a, the historical roots of conjure. It's very much pertinent today. Yeah, yeah. And for all those who want me to feel sorry for Melania Trump, fuck mm. you, because mm. I'm going to say something. This woman is either so abused, so medicated, or the kidney disease is actually some terminal death sentence, or she's a fucking opportunist, okay? Now, she didn't say she hates the babies being taken away. She had her fucking spokesperson say it. Yeah. Oh, guys, that was yeah. her spokesperson. So if you think that I should forgive her, oh, that poor little abused bitch. No. She had her spokesperson speak for her. The only thing that can redeem that in my mind is if the woman literally is tied down to the bed and they've got the lobotomy machine poised above her head and telling her that her baby, her son will be taken away from her, which might be true. It fucking might be true. Okay. That's a conspiracy theory. You heard it here first. All right. (laughs) I really don't get it folks. I can't believe that that our nation is just letting this happen. Between this and the shooting up of schools. Oh, wow, yeah. Link them. Link them in your mind, folks. Link them. This is the abandonment of a generation of children. We're going to kill our own children, and then we're going to put the other little babies from other countries, we're going to put them in cages and put their mothers Mm -hmm. in jail. For Mm -hmm. God's sake, for God's sake, this is not good. This is not the nation I thought I was proud of, you know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh. All right. Um, yes. Conjurement, you said something good. My sympathy is reserved for the children crying out for their parents. I, I agree. And the mothers yeah. crying for their children. This is, yes. This is uh, ungodly. It's just ungodly. All right. Well, we all know what to do. We all know what to do. We can we can pray. We can ask God to bring this thing to an end now, and uh, we can hope if, if it doesn't end now, there must be a lesson or a reason for it. Let's hope the lesson becomes clear, mm-hmm. becomes clear, so that we can, after this, say never again on this kind of monkey business and assholery and narcissism and sociopathology in the White House. Mm-hmm. and greed, oh, and corruption, and all the rest of the lying shit. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that was that, and that actually, I'm sorry, we just didn't have one client because of that, um, but I I really think it, it would be un, unwise of us with yeah. this little platform we have. Thousands of people listen to this show. You all know where we stand. If you don't like it, go listen to another show. We mean it. We really mean it. No, I think it no, just shows no. also that we mean business, right? We we live this stuff that it's not just 
you know, performative. We're not just going to go on and act like it's normal. We're going to act like, no, shit is crazy. And the, the, the root workers come out of a prophetic tradition, a biblical That's prophetic right. tradition. When things are wrong, it, it's the responsibility of the prophets and the seers and the oracles and the root doctors to say, hold the fuck up. Something yeah. is going on here. That's right. That's right. And I don't mind standing with Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah. My 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 great 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 granddad mm-hmm. or whatever the hell he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and tell the truth. All right. Well, having wound ourselves up and spewed <laughs> all of that all over the airwaves and the the blogosphere, the podcast world and God knows what else and they're all gonna be typing so fast to quote us on Facebook now. <laughs> having done that, um Let's just take a deep breath and center and rest ourselves. Yes. I am imagining myself in the yoga class I took in 1970. (laughs) Breathe in. Breathe out. Okay. Now we can start all all over again. Namaste. It was a fun year. It was a fun, yeah, Nama, fucking a stay. <laughs> it was a fun yoga class, and I do love yoga. I have to say that anyway. Um, no intent to disrespect any yoga teachers and yoga students among us. Um, sometimes breathing does help. Yes. Um, okay. So today, as previously mentioned before Contraband Ali totally derailed this train. <laughs> my my, my apologies. <laughs> His bad. Um, uh, we have as our wonderful patient sideline silent guest Papaji. Um, welcome to the train wreck, Welcome, Papaji. welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, you don't think I'm not going to uh, comment on that? Oh, go right uh, ahead. Um, well, one thing I want to say is, uh, it, of course, it's a twist, sick and twisted positive note, but the past 18 months we've been, for fucking Trump, have been so angry all the time and anxiety all the time that it did do us one favor that it, it made it where we no longer tolerated the people in our lives. I'm talking about in my household, that we were just kind of letting ride, even though they, they didn't serve us, we didn't agree with them, we weren't really friends anymore. So we did have done a lot of shedding of, of mm. people that shouldn't have been in our lives, or and not just because they were Trump supporters, because they were they shouldn't have been around us anymore. So it made mm-hmm. it intoler- anxiety-ridden and intolerable to the, to the point where we got rid of all the people that were toxic to us. You know, so that's, that's one a, good thing. Yeah, that's that's an amazing um, positive statement on that. And I am going to say something about that myself. Yes, it's not only the friends and Facebook who turned out to be gun-toting pro-Trump maniacs um, who, you know, insult you and all everybody you know. It's not just that. But there is a lot that we have put up with and tolerated. There's mm-hmm. a lot of um, of quiet suffering that um, I know I've endured because, well, they were a friend of a friend. And again, I'm not talking just about that, but the whole social media world, 
has caused me personally to endure an awful lot of um, negativity and um, and then say, well, but they're a friend of a friend and they're a friend of a friend of a friend. And I find that it's just easier, like you said, to shed them, just shed them mm-hmm. quietly. Mm-hmm. And um, when I, I'm now to the point where I no longer receive really horrific posts on my own timeline, but people still send me horrific private messages in Facebook. And I find it very relaxing to mute the conversation, delete the conversation, <laughs> delete the person. Why would they cathartic, be like that? Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just easier. Now people yeah. say, oh, you're living in the silo effect. You're living only with those who agree with you. Who and cares? Okay. No, you know what? I'm okay. I'm I'm yeah. gonna say more like who I'm gives so, this shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sick of that bullshit of the silo effect, right? I'm so sick and tired of people talking about oh, people are living in the silo effect because they don't like to be confronted with people that disagree with them. That's not true in any way, shape, or form. We can have all sorts of disagreements. We can disagree on which flavor ice cream is the best. We can disagree on on what's the best song that came out of the sixties. Those are all perfectly fine. But what we're not going to have a conversation about is whether humans deserve dignity, whether we should be treating minorities with respect, whether we should be treating women with respect. That's not up for debate. I don't care. There's no disagreement there. That's, that's not me to- being intolerant. That's me saying there's no discussion to be had. So if, right. I, if that's the silo effect, forget that. Yes. Well, I, I would take it as being intolerant of having assholes in my life. But, I yeah, I'm intolerant of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the in the chat room, we're having quite a little extra here, and when this gets um, posted in the archives, uh, you'll all be able to read the chat log. But I'm just going to point out a little thing here um, uh, that um, Vicky Trancho says no to sick drama, and Alchemical Artisans Hour says defriending Hitler's wannabes is a mental health decision. <laughs> oh, well said. And, well said. And um. And um, Lucky Mojo, which is Nagashiva, points out that this kind of thing used to happen in um, Usenet when it was unmoderated Usenet, which was an older social media of um, of the internet. And the usual terms are, "What a weakling! You you know you kill filed people. What kill file would be the same as deleting using the terminology of that time? What a weakling you are to kill file people!" I remember being told that and just laughing and going. But why should I stand there and listen to abuse or take abuse? I shouldn't. I don't have to. And um, and Sap Moss says, at this point, and even sometime before, it seems to me a moral issue that if one supports Trump, one supports the sociopathic abuse and total criminal mm-hmm. lying and wholesale destruction of basic human rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And uh, Nagashiva calls it healthy boundary setting. Yeah, you know, I lived on communes, anarchist communes, um, for many years of my life. And these were anarchist communes, and so they were pretty much open to the public. But every once in a while, someone would show up, and uh, we didn't like them. They stole, they they hurt people, Mm -hmm. they were sketchy one way or another, they abused drugs. You know, they just were bad people. They they promised to milk the goats, but they never made it out there, and the poor goats suffered. You know, that kind of thing. Whatever, they were no good. And... um, we used to have meetings about, like, what do we do with these people? We're anarchists, you know. We finally decided we could drive them to the border of the property <laughs> and say goodbye. Mm-hmm. 
you can't come back here again. Because even anarchists have to have mutual aid, mutual assistance. And so you could say, oh, those anarchists, they were, you know, they were ejecting people. But yeah, sociopathic, psychopathic, um, incompetent, lying people exist in society. Criminals exist. And we do need to have shared space that is free of those kinds of threats Mm -hmm. and those kinds of negligences and those kinds of of, um, errors. So I don't mind um, I don't mind saying no to um, the assholes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And Satma says it's cathartic to vent about Trump. Yeah, it is. It is cathartic. Mm-hmm. And Lucky Mojo says anarchism just means it's not a top-down domination by a state. Thank you. That's a very good definition. Yeah. Uh, it's. It's mutual mutual definition of what rules apply, not a top-down definition of what rules apply. Very true. All right, now we're going to go immediately. I promise immediately to today's discussion, <laughs> Appalachian folk magic, and don't think they don't have a few little ways to get around these things. Oh, so yeah. before before I bring in Papa G, who brought us the topic, I'm going to just talk a little bit, very briefly, about Appalachian folk magic. So. Appalachia is a region that was, of course, originally settled by Native Americans and of a number of tribes. And those tribes extended over also partially toward the west and um, and into the south. And so Appalachia is a fairly large region. When the colonial people came over from Europe primarily, they um, settled in those areas, and many of them... Uh, were in rural areas. They did. It was hilly, mountainous country. They were permitted in most of those states to have slaves, but slave keeping was not a primary um, visible function of Appalachian culture in the way that it was of southern lowland plantation culture. That they did often have slaves. So there was some mingling with African people as well. Also, during uh, the early settling of the Appalachian era, um, area, there was uh, there were traders and um, peddlers who came in. Some of them were Jews, some of them were um, Northern European, who came in and brought out of area uh, medicines and uh, trade goods, gingham cloth and whatever it might be, something interesting like that. They came in from the urban areas into the rural areas, which had very poor. Um, transport systems because of the mountainousness and because of that Appalachian culture stayed relatively untouched. Hoodoo as a folk magic stayed untouched because of segregation racial segregation but Appalachian folk magic stayed untouched because of difficulty of transport. There were a few narrow gauge uh, railroads like the East Tennessee and Western North Carolina (laughs) Railroad the ET and WNC but you know they're very small little railroads East Broadtop you know like that during the 1820s, as um, urbanization and, and land ownership opened up from east to west, some of those same people moved over into the Ozarks Mountains. And the Ozarks are the last mountain range before the uh, Great Plains. And yeah. those people were also of the same European background. They met up with remnant native tribes who were both indigenous and natives who had been moved westward from 
Appalachia and had come to the Ozarks as displaced persons to live among other native tribes. And, of course, they also met with um, escaped slaves who were coming up from the south. At that, By that time, there were a lot of escaped slaves living in the fringes of the frontier borderland. So Ozark folk magic, again, very similar to Appalachian folk magic. With that little historical background, um, what we're looking at is Scots, Irish, English, mm-hmm. and Scandinavian folk magic with these other admixtures. And I do have to say one thing about Scandinavian, which is that a lot of people who are of Scottish descent are not fully cognizant of the fact that Scotland was owned by Norway at one point. And Scottish and Norwegian Swedish folk magic bear more similarities uh, to one another than most people think and may be quite different mm-hmm. than uh, lowland English folk magic. In you know, but they, they they blended, they blended, and there's a Germanic tinge there too. Of course, Anglo-Saxon and Saxony is in Germany. Okay, having said all of that, I'm going to turn this over to Papa Newt. He gets to talk as long as he wants to, and um, about Appalachian folk magic. Yep, thank you. Um, you know, um, I think when I applied to be um, for your the Hoodoo um, correspondence course. I'd actually told you I was already a student of Appalachian folk magic because that is the region which, in which I live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't live in the Appalachian Mountains, <clears throat> but um, there's a re- while it's, it's vast. I mean, it's 200,000 square miles of mountains that go all the way from southern New York down to northern Mississippi. Mm-hmm. But there's an there's an extra area. You talked about people moving westward, closing, you know, going to Missouri and things, the Ozarks. Um, there's also an area beyond that area that's called the, the like a mental map or a cousin map, where the people of Appalachia consider like um, Middle Tennessee, sometimes all of Kentucky. Um, the Blue Ridge Mountains, they also consider that Appalachia because their cousins usually moved there. So it's also called a cousin map. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <clears throat> so to the people that live there, this region in which I'm in, John St. Germain is in, is, um, this, you know, they're considered that part of their region where, it, you know, by, and a map maker wouldn't tell you that, but that's why we still have sort of watered down elements um, the bottle tree was um, introduced by the um, African Americans to the Appalachian um, culture, and by that time they were using blue bottles because it represented the sky. It represented a crossroads between you know earth and sky. But when you move over to this cousin territory, you have people like my grandmother who she didn't know anything about that. But she always had blue bottles in her windows to keep spirits mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. So you wow. get watered down, watered down version in the cousin region, which is what I grew grew up with. Wow, I love that term, the cousin region. Um, that's a that makes a lot of sense to me too. Um, now the the interesting thing to me about the blue bottles in the in the windows i saw that in the ozarks um mm-hmm. and you'd ask women these would be older women much older than i am now these would be women in their late 70s early 80s and i was talking to them in the 1970s so they were born at the very end of the 19th century 
And I would say, why do you, you know, why do you keep these blue bottles uh, in your kitchen window? So it was the kitchen window. Mm-hmm. And um, the usual answer is, so I'll have something pretty to look at while I wash the dishes. I heard that answer many times. Oh, and my, and yet, my grandmother didn't know why she did it. Well, they didn't either, you see, in some sense. They didn't know why, but they did it. But it's a window. It's a window that looks in on them while they're working in the kitchen. And so it's a place that needs protection. And it's a kind of a it's kind of a uh, conflation of the old English witch bottle that's buried at the threshold or up the chimney and the the blue bottle tree. And mm-hmm. um yeah, they would they'd put those those empty bottles there just for pretty. That was another term that I was told, just for pretty. <laughs> um, one thing, I, when I was researching this for a class, I actually taught this topic as a class, and it, it, I put it out three months ahead of time, and, and it sold out so quickly that I had to do a second showing. So I had to teach the class back-to-back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but in my doing additional research, I didn't know that, you know, during – the time of Pangea, when all of the continents were together, um, during the Triassic period, when they began to split apart, that Scotland and the northern part of Ireland, which is where the Scots Irish lived, um, was actually part of North America. It is the same Appalachian mountain chain over in Northern Ireland that we have here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the people I who migrated from there who came here were really returning home. I get that. So they it, it's the same, you know, that they're they're the same and they often call themselves mountain folks. That's a that's a term that I've heard mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um well, I'm going to I'm going to throw in a couple of things that I know from living in the Ozarks and some of you all know that although I am a California native, I lived in the Ozarks for 10 years. Um, there's a book I'd love you all to get a copy of. It's called Ozark Superstitions by Vance Randolph. And it was published by Columbia University Press in 1947, the year that I was born. And um, my parents, as I've mentioned before, had an antiquarian bookstore. So I got a copy of this book very early on as a child, as soon as I expressed an interest in folklore. It's a very respected book. He wrote a number of good books on folk music and mm-hmm. um and other Ozark folklore. But this book was one of the reasons I decided to move to the Ozarks because it really, it it has some amazing uh, information in it. But there's a chapter in it called The Power Doctors. And he talks about what we would call root doctors in hoodoo. And some of the methodologies he gives, uh, to me it was amazing. This came out in 47. I moved to the Ozarks in 71. Some of these people were still alive or their children were alive. I actually looked them up because, hey, you know, in a little town like Marshfield, Missouri, you can find them, right? So, um, but some of the, the things that he gives here, which would be very familiar to a European, or if you've read the book Trolldom by um, Johannes Gardbach, which is about Scandinavian folk magic, you'll see some of these same things. Um, one of them is blood stopping. And, um, and mm-hmm. you to to recite um, uh, the sixth verse in the 16th chapter of Ezekiel. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yes, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. This is found um, in black folk magic as well. But here's another one that comes out of the Ozarks, which is, was amazing to me. 
because it's uh, to draw fire out of a burn. And it says in English, Two little angels come from heaven. One brought fire and the other brought frost. Go out fire and come in frost. And then you blow on the burn. But that in German, that's a German um, folklore, and it rhymes in German, doesn't rhyme in English. And those same types of spoken incantation spells are found in the book Trolldom. And you'll also find them, of course, in Powwows or The Long Lost Friend um, by uh, Johann uh, Jakob Holman or John Jacob Holman or, or John George Holman, is that what they called him? Um, and he uh, published that stuff as German folklore in Pennsylvania. And yet, this is also found among Anglo-Irish people in the Appalachian and Ozarks area. Yeah, I, I, just to jump in there real quick, I just wanted to say that Virginia, in Virginia, we have a lot of interactions with Appalachian. Uh, folk magic in particular, and Appalachian folk magic, you mentioned, for example, the treating of burns. For us in Virginia, Appalachian folk magic had a huge reputation for healing, for its capacity to deal with things like stopping blood, dealing with illnesses, war, sicknesses, etc. They were known for their ability to work with herbs and prayers in particular and work amazingly. And there were lots of people I knew um, who were uh, interested in, in folk magic, who would see uh, doctors and they would see uh, a, a practitioner of Appalachian folk magic. Especially when it comes to, like, burns. It's like Ms. Kat mentioned power doctors. Power doctors yeah. were often healed things like burns simply with their breath mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. By, by blowing on. And then there were what's called goomer, goomer doctors, which is who you went to if you had a hex put on you. So there were like goomer mm-hmm. doctors and power doctors and um, uh, witch wigglers, you know, the people who found the water, found your, mm-hmm. found your well for you. But, uh, yeah, a power doctor, would uh, he, he did a lot of healing through his breath, um, praying while blowing on, blowing on a wound. Mm-hmm. Another one I, I want to put out to are the, are the people who cure warts. And... Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of um, interesting uh, traditions about wart curing, which fascinated me as a kid because I never had warts, but my best friend had a lot of them. And uh, she was a, a little, you know, Anglo-Saxon girl whose family was from Oklahoma originally. And she got warts, and I didn't. And, in fact, I even tried to get a wart so I could see if I could cure it. <laughs> I finally managed to. I rubbed my hand on her wart to see if I could get a wart, you know, and I did. And then I cured it um, very quickly in three days. But um, but there, she knew in her family there were so many ways to cure warts. And um, there it, there was ones with stump water. There were ones with um, uh, potato. There was You could, you could cure a wart with... Um, a thorn. You could cure a wart with um, uh, scratching it with the um, the quill of a black hen feather. I mean, there were so many ways to cure warts. You could almost write a whole book called Wart Cures of the Ozarks, <laughs> um, and and they are they're fascinating, just absolutely fascinating. One of my favorites is one where you have a people who are known as wart curers will carry around a big old safety pin. And on it, there are buttons, but these buttons are small, like small kind of shirt buttons, but they're just strung on the safety pin. 
And um, you go up to the person and, and you say, um, I have a wart I'd like to sell. And he goes, you'd like to sell your wart? Here, I'll buy it. And he undoes his safety pin and he pulls off a button and gives it to you. And he goes, okay, now you're going to lose that wart because it's going to come to me. And the button is about like a little, you know, a little bigger than the wart. These are small buttons. And you take the button and you're to put it in your pocket. And when you lose the button, well, then you'll lose the wart. And, of course, people put it in a pocket that has a hole in it or they kind of dump their pants out upside down and, you know, the button gets lost and then the wart goes away. Hmm. You, um, oh, you mentioned, this Kat, the long-lost friend. Yeah, um, yeah. I also found in my um, in my research, it was like, well, Appalachian um, tradition was mainly oral. Many of them were illiterate. but the, mm-hmm. But they always had three books in their house, the Bible, the Farmer's Almanac, and The Long Lost Friend. That's right. <laughs> they may not be able to read it, but it was there in the house. Mm-hmm. Somebody could read it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they would have hidden the six and seven books of Moses, but it was considered, you know, considered to be a magical grimoire, and they, most people mm-hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't admit that they had it. It was usually tucked mm-hmm. under a bed somewhere. Mm-hmm. And all the books themselves are seen as talismanic that just possessing the book meant some form of power or protection. Uh, the long-lost friend in particular uh, has a reputation of, like the Bible, of being a literal talisman so that people would carry it in their pockets or sewn into their jackets and it would act as a, as a form of protection, reputed to make you bulletproof or safe from enemies and whatnot. So the books themselves, even possessing them, was considered an act of magic, let alone reading and knowing what was inside of them. Yes. You know, you know um another one that that uh, comes to my mind too is um when when dealing with these older forms of work um and looking for parallels between hoodoo and Appalachian folk magic. We all know about um black uh, hands, particularly um mm-hmm. frizzly black hands scratching up curses. Um in Vance Randolph's books, he mentions that among the white people of the Ozarks, if a child was sick, you were to take a black chicken and put it in their bed with them, and it would scratch away their disease. But they, they lay under the covers, and this black chicken would be all over them. And he, he, he talks about interviewing a man who was a, a medical doctor, a physician, and he says, mm-hmm. well, what do you think about putting a chicken in the bed with them? And the guy goes, ah, the bed was probably dirty already. No harm done. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is interesting to note here uh, that in, in Appalachian folk magic, you don't always see this with all forms of folk magic, but in particular with Appalachian folk magic and other forms of American folk magic, that the intersection between folk magic and folk medical remedies is very clear. So a lot of the language we see in, in Appalachian folk magic revolves around illnesses and diseases and sicknesses, etc., and the idea being that you can cure and remedy them with things like prayers and folk magic and whatnot. So this is a very interesting component of, of folk magic uh, in, in the Appalachian strain, is the uh, connection with disease and remedy. Because many of them wouldn't even admit they were doing any sort of magic. To them, yeah. every, everything was because God made it happen. Yep, folk healing. Yeah, well, you know, and a lot of these... Um, Power formulas or power doctor formulas um, were to be taught um, cross-gender. In other words, a woman could only teach it to men. Or if not cross-gender, there was a number limitation or both. In other words, you could only Mm -hmm. teach it to three men if you were a woman or to three women if you were a man. Or sometimes it would just be three. If you teach it to three people, 
um, that's okay. But if you teach it to the fourth person, you lose your own power. And that is very common also in Scandinavian folk magic belief, that only a certain number of people on Earth can know this particular remedy, but that creates variant remedies. <laughs> also something I found interesting was the term natural expression. When they, when they, um, the way we use herbs, roots, zoological items, minerals in in hoodoo, um, the people in this region would use these same things, but they would call it a form of natural expression, meaning that those were put here by God. That they didn't believe you went straight to God. That He was He what you you first used all of the elements that He laid out for you to use like the plants, mm-hmm. the roots, the minerals, the flowers, which they called a natural expression of God. Um, and they considered it to be like just the same way poison ivy, um, mm-hmm. it, its cure usually grows right beside it. The jewelweed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a very um, interesting uh, belief about jewelweed. I've I've run into that. I had read about it before, you know, in one of these old books on folklore. Of course, jewelweed doesn't grow where I live, but we sure have poison oak. But I got down into the Ozarks, and there was the poison ivy, and there was a jewelry right next to it. I was I was mm. impressed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, another one that that I like uh, to mention. And this is again has to do with the uniqueness of this Anglo-Saxon folklore. Um, there's a very strong belief of um, that when a person is a witch, and that is a word that has a specific meaning. Yeah. That witch, that witches are associated with stealing milk, and witches are associated with making your cows go dry. Witches have certain things they do. They're usually old women. It's a stereotype, but it's very much a part of that folklore. And um, the witches are sometimes are said to hag ride you to come at night. And this also mm-hmm. exists in a different modified form in hoodoo. It's a sh- it's a shared belief. Yeah. Um, but the but the idea of um, of uh, the witches. Uh, taking milk, I don't find in in black folklore particularly, um, and but yet both of them ha- share the idea that the witch can put bad things or trick you by putting things where you might touch them, and mm-hmm. uh, these would be cursed objects which would be put in your clothing. But in keeping with the high status of female wedding events in Northern European, we you know there's a lot of money saved for dowry, and there's these big weddings, and then you know the, the, the whole ceremony. The most common time that that the Anglo-Saxon people will say that tricked um, tricked objects get set forth is at the wedding. At the wedding party, she was tricked at the wedding. You know, this happened at the wedding. A, a needle was put in her shoe at the wedding. These are the tales that are told. Whereas that particular thing about the wedding didn't survive as much in hoodoo because, for the obvious reason, that slaves were not allowed to marry. And so many of the African wedding customs, which were just as elaborate and beautiful, were lost. And mm-hmm. so the the tricking happened at other events, but not so much at the wedding. And this is how you can study folklore and how it is shaped by 
the form that the culture takes or is forced to take by those around it. Your mention of um, witch or witchcraft made me think of something else that I found interesting was, um, in remembering that they were mostly illiterate, was the thing of uh, they had a lot of an, what's called ancestral rhyming so that they could remember. Basically, they were spells, but they weren't going to tell you that, and they weren't going to believe it themselves. But it was things like rain, rain, go away, come back, you know, come back another day so they could remember it. So it was like rhyming spells, um, but they you know, called it that is, ancestral rhyming. Yeah, the oral the oral rhyme tradition, and um, mm-hmm. this is this is a whole thing. I could get off into this, like we could have a whole show on this. Not only did you just give a great example, rain, rain, go away, come again another day, but you also gave a, a, an example of what I call the enchantment scansion. Many curious things I see while telling fortunes in your tea. Mm-hmm. Um, these, this particular scansion, da 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 da, is the Anglo-Saxon, British, Scottish enchantment scansion. There are different ones in Scandinavia, but even yet, some of theirs also fall into that scansion. That is the cadence and mm-hmm. rhythm and syllabic count of a magic spell in those countries. Yeah, and we should mention too here that, that for example, the word witch that was used um, has a very different connotation kind of than what we talk about uh, in the contemporary moment when people are trying to reclaiming the word witch. In both hoodoo and in uh, the Appalachian folk magic tradition, a witch isn't a magical practitioner, though they could be that. A witch is a supernatural entity. They're seen as, as not exactly human, as, as something entirely other. I mean, there's whole uh, stories of witches shedding their skin to go hag riding and, and being parasitic and kind of having a weird connection to a, a vampirism and, and, and other forms of, of kind of nocturnal beasts. Um, so we're not talking here about someone with a, a, a cauldron and a pentacle and an athame. We're talking here about, in both of these traditions, in Hoodoo and in and the Appalachian folk tradition, and we find the, a similar root both in Europe and in Africa of the witch being a literal supernatural entity, a, a monstrous being. And actually, and also they believed in little people, like elves and things. However, they didn't consider them to be supernatural. While they didn't mess with them, they considered them to be another of God's creations. Therefore, they were not supernatural. Hmm. Which is almost a contradiction of, of of things in other regions, which they would consider things supernatural. Because in the Appalachian region, they they didn't uh, subscribe to animism. They didn't believe like. Uh, other things had life to them, but they did believe in the little people and the um, Indians, the Cherokee in the area, believed in them too. I think it was called Nunase. Yeah, so. yeah. This is and, and um, also in the Ozarks, it was quite a developed, um, almost you could call it a um, a bestiary or a directory of such beings, mm-hmm. and um, and of course this survives even in general. Um, majority white, um, what you might almost call television culture, there still are people who live out milk and cookies for Santa Claus and the elves, mm-hmm. right? But if you go to, they, in, in Rock City, in um, 
you know, in Chattanooga, you go to Rock City, and they have this entire cave system exhibit of elves. It's really strange. Yes. It's sort yes. of disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the elves of Rock City. <laughs> I know them well. Um, yeah, and but that is something that has um, survived and been transplanted, and yet it also found resonance with the Native American culture. So there was a kind of a belief, well, that must be obviously true, um, because it's here, we got here. They still have them. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's something that didn't get dropped off or left behind. It's interesting to me always to see what does survive and how it survives, and in particular against the pressure of scientific, contemptuous, urban promoting um, labeling, such as to call folk magic superstition. Like even in this book by Vance Randolph, the book is called Ozark Superstitions, but um, that word carries a pretty negative context, but even though he's a folklorist and gives it all very straightforwardly and not negatively, uh, even he cannot help himself every once in a while saying, well, no doubt this worked because, and then he gives some little scientific explanation. Mm-hmm. So to rationalize you, it away. Yeah, rationalize it. Right. So when you study um, folk magic, and I hope you all do, uh, you should always be aware that some of the best reporters of folk magic are reporting it as a curiosity and not as something mm-hmm. practical. And if they cast it always into the past, people used to do this, don't take them on as teachers. Um, they they are trying to minimize it too much. But go back mm-hmm. to books of the era that you're interested in, read them. There's a lot to be learned in Appalachian folk magic. It's a beautiful system. I love it a lot. All right. You're listening to the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, and we are going to go take a caller, our only caller for the day, and do a free reading. Take it away, Papa Newt. Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com. And by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of missionary independent spiritual churches located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and take our, our first uh, client. And our client for the evening will be calling in from area code 8. Eight in North Carolina. This is Nikki. Nikki, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you doing today? Doing quite well. And yourself? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful. Good to have you here. All can right. I break in? Can I break in? Can, hold, yep. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold I on. Know the <laughs> is this is this the Miss Nikki? I mm. think it is. Of course, your favorite. Oh, okay. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Miss Nikki. <laughs> Ah, Big hello to Miss Nikki. Thank you. All right. Go on now and read her, read about her, but at least I know who we're talking to, and I can see her pretty face. Yes. All right. Well, I see, uh, too, you've had readings before uh, with uh, Professor Porterfield in the past and myself, it looks like. Uh, now, Miss Nikki writes, I came to California four years ago. 
Since my arrival, I have had several difficulties, uh, difficult challenges that have presented themselves. Now I have my business helping people, and I am having challenges with it as well. I have done uncrossing baths, road opening uh, spells, blockbuster spells, and much more over the years to get things moving in the positive manner. What is behind these challenges, and when will my business be successful? Turn it back to you, Ms. Katz. Wow. Well, uh, Nikki, I'm sorry to hear your business isn't as successful as you want it to be. Um, And so I'm going to ask a couple of questions for the listeners. What is your sign of the zodiac? Scorpio. Scorpio. All right. And um, this is something that is... um, important to understand in business because um, although every sign has its ups and downs, Scorpio does not make the best business owner, generally speaking, because people tend to look at them and going, there's something going on below the surface there. Unlike a Taurus, you look at me and go, oh, that's boring farmer. you know. <laughs> but the Scorpio people tend to look at them and they go, there's something deep there. So Scorpios are more um, have more profit if they work behind the scenes, sometimes if they work for personal celebrity, if they use their sexual magnetism. So that is one of the things that I would notice. But that's just um, something that, you know, just generally speaking. Now, normally I would do the first reading for you. Um, but I'm going to have, because I've read for you before, not, not read for you, but I know you so well, I'm going to have Ollie do the first reading, and then Papa G, and then I'm going to give you some real work advice, okay? So take it away, Ollie. Thanks, Ms. Kat. Um, uh, yeah, I think Kat is, um, in regards to astrology, is absolutely right here. Um, I mentioned in the chat room um, that I'm a practitioner of medieval Arabic astrology, and in that tradition, um, there are signs that are considered blessed, naturally blessed, and naturally cursed. Um, and these usually are related to the benefics and malefics. Now, that doesn't mean that those signs that are cursed are doomed for life, but it means that unless there's some type of intervening force, their natural course in life is filled with lots of challenges. One example is an Aquarius. Aquarius is considered a naturally cursed sign, which means that more often than not, and it's been my experience and Captain Atesis, is Aquarius almost always find their career path and their love life later in life. They, they don't mm-hmm. go through it like, oh, in their 20s, like, oh, I found the love of my life. I'm getting married. I know what my career is. Generally, they're in their 30s and 40s before they really start to find their career. And another one, a case is Scorpio. Scorpios are another uh, sign that's considered, quote, unquote, cursed. Um, and which that doesn't mean, you, you, again, that it's doomed or one of these very medieval terms. It just means that the Scorpio hasn't if nothing else is intervening, their natural path is one of challenges and difficulties. They're a deep sign, and you've got to be able to tap into that scorpionic energy if you're going to be a businessman or a business person. So think of things like uh, enchanting work, um, sex work, that, you know, sex magic, that type of stuff really works well uh, with Scorpios, or even those type of deep readings that really get to the psyche of a person more so than fortune telling. Those are all going to work really, really well for Scorpio. And I say this not just because they give you some kind of generic 
um, uh, astrological uh, reading, but because it comes up in your geomancy chart. I pulled up a chart, and the very first figure, the one that represents you, is Rubius. Rubius is the goblet overturned. It is ruled by Scorpio and Mars. In traditional geomancy, uh, practiced in the Mediterranean and even in Europe, when Rubius comes up as the first figure, generally what they do is they actually rip up the entire chart. They rip up the entire chart and they go, I can't read for this for at least two hours to a whole day. There's something chaotic or dangerous going on. I don't ascribe to that tradition. I come from a North African tradition that doesn't rip up the chart, mostly because the chart is usually done in sand, um, but actually because we read Rubius as indicating that there is a direct magical intervention happening and it's located physically, it's located on the body of the person so that it's being worked on the person themselves. It's not a generic curse. It's not a, uh, oh, bad luck your way. No, it's someone literally knocking your goblet over. So Rubius is something that I do read in the first house, and it represents you, and it's Scorpio. So it's very clearly tied to some form of astrology. What it tells me is that this is looking at like someone who has timed it astrologically. You said you moved four years ago, and ever since then, you've had some difficulties. This, whatever obstacle you're facing, is timed to astrology, but it's not general weather. It's someone who's like, oh, look, it's raining right now. I'm going to take a piss on that person. They won't know that it's pissed. They'll think it's rain. That's what we're talking about here, that they are allowing the move or the astrological shift to kind of mask what it is that they're doing, and they are doing something. We see this in the 10th house, which is ruled by Tristitia. Tristitia is the stake driven into the ground. It is the power of Saturn, and it means that it is affecting your business. The 10th house is the house of success and fame and fortune and, and your career. Um, and it is one that is being afflicted. This passes into the 12th house, which confirms that we are dealing with a curse. Um, the 12th house is the house of curses, and it is one that is curses from the past. So this is someone or, or an individual or a group of individuals that you have interacted with in the past who have done this working in the past. They have, they're not still doing it. This isn't someone who's regularly lighting candles on you, but because they timed it astrologically and timed it to something going on to your life, they were able to anchor that, that curse on you so that it is lasting, so that it endures. So you're going to need to do root work and magic that involves astrological remediation, that should involve some type of working with your chart in order to undo this, in addition to doing uncrossing work and blockbuster. It's why the work you've done so far may have provided temporary reliefs, but it hasn't changed things entirely, because this thing is tied intimately to your stars. So this is a very intense form of working. It, it does come from your past. Um, it does tell me that uh, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, the projection of points, which is the hidden factor, goes right back to the 10th house that tells me that the curse has been hidden well and that um, you may not have seen it in other forms of reading or you may not have seen it um, at other times uh, because this person was able to conceal their work um, and was able to kind of use this, the kind of climate in your life 
to conceal what they were doing. Uh, it's also going to take probably roughly about a year before you'll see a massive turnaround. The big, sh- the next shift I see in your life is January of next year. So we're going to have to do some uncrossing work starting now, astrological remediation, um, and then expect to see that turnaround by, by next January. So that's what I see here. Um, I'm going to turn this off. Oh, one last thing. The person who did this is likely uh, ruled by Saturn. So they themselves are Capricorn or Aquarius. I'm going to turn this over to Papa G, who's going to do your next reading, and then Miss Cat will give you some root work recommendations. Hello, Nikki. Is Hello. Nikki correct? Okay. Yes. Um, I am using Lenormand cards, and it, uh, I went ahead and pulled them while um, Conjure Manali was talking. If you're not familiar with them, they're French cartomancy cards. I call them down and dirty cards. Um, they're red in pairs. They also read very quickly. I did have to pull one, two, three, four, five, six cards for it to to um, tell your story. So the first thing I get is the tower card. It's different than the tarot deck. The tower means business. Um, your question was about business, so that tells me it's going in the right direction. The one, let me tell you the two that are right beside it. It is the dog, which means friend, and the birds, which means um, communication. It can mean gossip. It can mean a spoken word. And then it's followed by mice, which means something is eating away. So if we look to the first card, your, your theme is about your business. It's someone you're associated to has, is in some sort of spoken word, whether it be their advice or, as Conjure Ali um, mentioned, maybe even spell work, has brought in this element of eating away at your business. I don't know if it's through jealousy or what the motivation is. But the last two cards are the coffin and the fish, which coffin is cutting this person or their ties completely away from you. And if you do that, the fish card is abundance. So if we look at it at a glance from first card to last card, it is your business becoming abundant. So we have to go to the center and figure out how do you do that. It's so is there is there someone in your life that you take advice from about business? If that's the case, it means stop listening to them. Okay. Is there someone that, that advises you a lot, whether it be a friend, a spouse, or um, my initial my first instincts are, are saying you have to go with your gut, but is there someone that that does that? Well, we have several mentors in my business that do that, but they want you to succeed so they they can be able to to succeed. So there will be no reason for them to, you know, um, not tell me to not be able to succeed so they'd have no reason for that. And I'm trying to think of the person because I'm kind of looking at it and I don't really truly know right offhand. And, and part of me, too, thinks, thinks is it has something to do with being um, not listening to other people and, do, and going with your gut when it comes to your business. There's, some, there's either a person on that, we're talking about on a human level, on a magical level, that's interfering that way, or it is in reference to what Conjurement Ali said, where someone has interfered with you magically, and somehow you have to cut that out and get it off of you. And if once you do that... 
then the business will become abundant. Okay. I, mean, I think Ms. Cat may be able to tell you how to exactly do that. So. All righty. Okay. Well, I I hear what I hear what you're saying, and this is an interesting reading. Um, the Lenormand reading pointed out some things to me, which are which I think I can interpret in uh, accurately here. I do agree 100% with Ali. I saw that right away, that there's something astrological here. And it may be yeah. something that was thrown in that has a... You might be well advised to get an astrological reading on business. And I'm going to give you a recommendation of one person I know who does that, and that is William Stick Evers. He's been a guest on this show. He is an astrologer who specializes in money and business astrology and uh, financial astrology. And he may have some uh, good advice for you. I don't know that, but I'm just saying if I was to go to somebody for that, I would choose him. Now, going back to the Norman reading that Papa G said, we have business, we have a friend, we have birds of communication and gossip, and then mice, something being eaten away. So this says to me that you may be being letting people into your circle um, who are not having your best interest in heart. Because you're a very outgoing, open sort of person, you may be allowing the little mice to come around you that may be taking from you. And um, the the thing of coffin, cutting away or the death, you don't want to, of course, necessarily pray for people's death, but it does say you should get them out of your way and that the fish is abundant. So I'm going to give you a, a some working to remove from your life people who you may not know the names of even, but these are people who are not um, well inclined. They may be mentors, they may be friends, they may be gossipy friends, they may be people from your past who said, I don't want her to do well in business, and did, as Ali said, time it to some sort of an event that kind of threw it at you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to we're going to pick up, I'm just going to pick up a number, at, and you may sit and meditate on a different number, whatever number you think, but I pick one enemy for every day of the week. We don't know who they are at this point. We say, some people have thought bad of you. So we're going to take seven black candles. And these are going to be the seven little four-inch type candles, or if you want to use tea lights, but I like the little uh, stand-up candles. Those seven black candles are going to be seven people who have wished you ill, whether they did so through gossip, through posing as friends but not really being friends, through being somebody that you hurt their feelings at one time and they brooded about it and cast the evil eye on you, whatever they are. You don't have to number them and name them. You can just say, um, those who wish me ill. Okay. Then we're going to have um, another little centerpiece for this spell. And the centerpiece is going to be the things you want in the way of money. It would be a typical type money sugar bowl. Some sugar, some cinnamon. You can put some cloves in for good friends. You can put in coins. You're just going to make a nice um, little offering bowl. One of the ways I like to do is put the coins in, oil them with some sort of money drawing oil, and then around that perhaps put a ring of cinnamon and sugar. You have to put it where ants won't get it because it will be a mess if they do. Um, There's different ways people do it. In other ways, people take sugar packets from a restaurant and they just plop the sugar packets, sealed sugar packets in among their coins. 
whatever you want. It's going to be sugar. It's going to be money. You can put uh, dollar bills and other things like that in as a underlayment for the coins, which can act as like little eggs. You can put in whole allspice berries, too, because they represent money. Um, so once you've made that little bowl, you're going to um, have that, and you're going to first of all pray over it without these black candles now in your hand or having gotten, gotten them together yet. You're going to pray over this, and you say, this is my, for my money. And into that bowl, a little flat bowl or however you choose it, you're going to put a candle, and it will be a a green candle or a gold candle, whatever you choose for money, and you will dress it with a prosperity, better business type oil, and you'll you'll burn it. And then as it is about halfway done, you're going to light one of these black candles. And for whatever day you start, let's say you start on a Tuesday. Um, we call it Tuesday's enemy. Uh, this enemy who's ruled by Mars, who's ruled by anger, you say, this is my enemy who wishes to put out my light. And you're going to let that burn at least halfway, but it's going to be a smaller candle. You can let it burn at least halfway and observe your big candle while it burns and observe the wax from that black candle. And as you, you don't have to sit there for the whole two hours, but just watch it burn down and um, watch where the wax goes, watch what it does. If it just burns up clean, okay, it's clean. And as it's done, before it goes out, you're going to have a little bowl of whatever you like, holy water is a good thing to use, or a pure rainwater, river water, and you're going to take that candle and douse it and say, I put your lights out to that enemy. And you're going to do this every day for seven days. And one enemy candle gets put out. But observe them. Don't just be burning them and come back two hours later and say, oh, it went out. Watch it a little bit. Um, you can you burn this because what you're doing is kind of testing if one of those enemy candles flares up. If one of them, the wax runs toward your bowl of, of good fortune. And every day, of course, you're going to put in a new uh, good fortune money candle. You have to let that one get firmly started before you start that little black candle. And as I said, some people like to use tea lights. I don't because you can't watch the wax run. So this is a divination in a way. But as you put those candles out and douse them in the holy water, you're going to take each one of them and uh Keep them in that water, and at the end of seven days, you're going to have these stubbies floating in that in that water, and you're going to take that whole mess, and you're going to take it to a graveyard, and uh, you're going to dig a little hole. Don't put it in somebody's necessarily in somebody's grave. Just dig a hole, put it in, and you're going to uh, give them the um, the stubs, and close that grave over and say, "I bury my enemies forever." Okay, that's your spell. And there's our music. So I'm going to, boy, that went long, and I'm sorry, but I hope you got it all, and all the notes will be in the uh, in the uh, uh, chat log. Let's turn this over to Papa Newt. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Condraman Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, and the Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays 6 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com.
time for our free spell segment with Papa G of SouthernFolkMagic.com in Nashville, Tennessee. Take it away, Papa G. Thank you. Thank you, Papa Newton. I found um, an old Appalachian spell that um, I sort of turned into something new. It was something about a potato that you took to the graveyard to get a spirit out of your house. So this one is actually to get over a relationship that's gone south, one that you know it's not going to be repaired, but you still have hurt feelings, and you need to get, you know, to get rid of them and go on. So what you actually need is three peppercorns, a piece of Queen Elizabeth root, Lucky Mojo's cut and clear oil, plenty of black thread, so just have a spool ready, um, a photo of the person you're trying to get over, and one large potato. And first you're going to do a petition on the person's picture. Um, part of it by Xing, putting X's all over their face. You start with the eyes, X up both the eyes, they can't see what you're doing. X up the mouth, they can no longer speak about you or um, speak about what you're doing. And then begin to cover the entire image with X's. And each X, you're supposed to have the thought in your head that I am canceling out your hold on me, your effect on me, you no longer... Um, have a hold over me, I no longer have a connection to you, I no longer feel these things for you, or won't in the in the near future. You take the piece of Queen Elizabeth root, place it under your tongue, and say something to the effect of what you were thinking when you did the X's. You no longer influence me. I cut away all emotional connection we had. And then you spit the piece of Queen Elizabeth root into the center of the picture. From there, take the three peppercorns and you anoint them with the cut and clear oil and put them also in the center of that pitcher and petition. And you can write a petition on the back of this or on uh, over the X's, however you want to do it, stating you want to cut, be cut from this person. Fold it three times away from you so that it leaves your life. And from there, you're going to take a um, unwashed, unpeeled potato and cut it in half. And you're going to hollow out a small section and leave really thick walls, just enough, big enough to put the folded petition into. And you're actually going to place it in there, um, the folded petition, with two pins or two nails, whatever you have on hand, put it in there with it, and then put the um, halves of the potato back together. And then you're going to begin to wind it with black thread. And make sure you're, you're going away from you when you're doing the winding. Take the black thread and wind it around the potato over and over and over and over until it's completely sealed. And once that's trapped, you're going to drive it to a remote location off of your own property where you're not going to look at it, um, somewhere where it's unlikely to be undisturbed. And you're going to actually just lay it on the ground and then walk away from it. And as the potato deteriorates, so will your connection to that person. And um, I find it interesting, the reason why you lay the potato, you do not bury it, is because you do not want to make more potatoes out of this <laughs> out of this relationship. <laughs> oh, perfect. 
mean, if you bury that. it, you, it might have, might have more of a connection. So, yeah, you lay it on the ground and just let it rot. That's wonderful, Papaji. Also, I'm going to point out that this does have some connection to some hoodoo spells, but those are much more African and Mediterranean in style, North African and Sub-Saharan mm-hmm. African, and would be more likely to use a lemon. But, you yep. know... Appalachian magic, now we're talking about people from Northern Europe, they wouldn't have had lemons. Lemons won't grow up there. And before the increase in air traffic trade and train refrigeration cars, you didn't get a lemon. You got a potato. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The original spell was to actually take a potato. Um, If you have a ghost in the house and you're not going to know who it is, you put a personal possession of there, something tiny that they had, and you put it in the potato and you took it to the cemetery, and uh, you left it right outside the cemetery and just left it there to rot. That's very good. That's very good. I'm also going to have to add there are some wart spells where you take a half a potato and put it under your eaves so that the rain falling off your eaves, take the wart rubbings, you rub the wart, you know, and you put potato. The potato decays and the wart goes away. So potatoes are used to remove things in Mm -hmm. uh, Anglo-Saxon. Up. Now, I also, while you were talking, I have to admit, I got a private message from someone and said, but what do you do with the bowl of coins? <laughs> I ran so long that when the music came up, I didn't say what to do with that bowl of coins. I told you what to do with the black candles, but not the bowl of coins. Don't Take- put them in the potato. No, 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 this is the, this is the spell for dear Miss Nikki. The coins... And the sugar, of course, are to be deployed. She probably already knows how, but um, the sugar would be used to sweeten your um, coffee or tea that you serve to people in your business or put in your break room if you work in a shop or whatever, however it is. And the coins are to be handed out to your customers or used to buy things for your business, such as business cards or gasoline for your car, whatever it is for your business. But just give those blessed coins out. Or if you have enough money, you can give the blessed coins to the poor. But usually they would be given as change to your customers. Sorry, I forgot to mention it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Well, Papa G, this was one of the most chaotic shows we've ever had. Um, It definitely was. (laughs) But but, uh, thank you so much for being on, and I know, as I told everybody at the beginning, I'm so sad that, that you've taken leave of air. I hope you do come back sometime when you get your your business all put together and, and have time to do readings and root work for people. And always do remember that we, we love you and we're here for you, and you're always welcome to be on the radio show because, as many people think, this show only has members of air as guests, but that's not true. And we're going to prove that to be not true in just a little while. We're going to have another person on who's not a member of AIR, but that's a secret for now. And um, <laughs> so we would love to we'd love to invite you back at any time, and um, and have you uh, share some of your incredible knowledge and wisdom with us. You're such a good teacher and such a a good colleague. I hate to I hate to not see you in AIR. We will definitely I'm, miss you. But thank you for the potato spell. Oh, thank yeah. you for the potatoes. <laughs> thank, thank and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll still be sending you your little uh, kit packages in the mail. <laughs> oh, Papa G, the man who sends me ginger. He knows I love my ginger. I put ginger in my tea. I sweeten my tea with ginger, and he knows that. And I, I run through a pound of ginger pretty quick that way. 
I oh, love wow. you, Papa G. And I, I miss you. And um, thank you so much for everything you do for all of your own customers and, and clients. You're such a reliable, good-hearted man. Thank you, thank you. All righty. Well, we will see you again. It will, it, this is not the end. And maybe we can beg our way back into your heart. <laughs> Give me three more employees and maybe I'll have time. <laughs> well, like I said, I've got 15 of them and I can still do a little bit of root work and readings now and then. Um, it takes some time, though, to organize everything. I know what you mean. All righty. Well, we're going to turn this over to Papa Newt. And, um, and oh, and by the way, speaking of air, I do want to mention that we have a brand new member of AIR who has just joined us, and this is Lady Muse. And so um, if you are uh, watching in the chat room, I'm sure Papa G is going to, I'm not Papa G, excuse me, Papa Newt, all the Papas in the world, um, the Papa Stop is going to put in Lady Muse's URL at AIR. But if you don't, uh, if you're just listening, go on over to the AIR website, Readers and Root Workers, and click on Lady Muse, she's brand new at air. She's been at Hoodoo Psychics for quite a while, very popular at Hoodoo Psychics, and we know she's going to set the woods on fire there, too. Lovely lady, and I know her well. All righty. Let's turn this over to Papa Newt. All right. Thank you, Miss Cat and Contraman Ali, and thank you, Papa G of SouthernFolkMagic.com in Nashville, Tennessee, for being our guest this week. We do invite you to join us next week when our special guest from the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers will be John St. Germain of JohnStGermain.com in Knoxville, Tennessee, bringing us the topic on grief, bereavement, and loss. Once again, we come to an end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Miss Cat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at form.luckymojo.com and Contrabandly at the Contraband.com in Mission VA Hill, California. I'm your announcer, Pop Newt, joining you from PopNews.com in Omaha, Nebraska. The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rubric Hour can be heard every week live on Block Talk Radio at 2 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available in archive via LuckyMojo.com slash RadioShow.html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I say thank you for being here. I invite you to tune in once again next week at the same time when you'll hear the familiar strains of the message segment. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I love you Impressive. so much, Newt. That was <laughs> Kisses. All right. Good night, everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Bye.